Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 133 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about the big idea of productization of legal services and ways current technology might help enable that. In this episode, we wanted to talk about a small idea with big importance and something we all have to deal with every day. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be talking about the humble task list, the to-do list, uh, the ongoing battle to keep uh, from being overwhelmed by all that we have to do. In our second segment, we'll discuss uh, what you might want to do in response to recent stories of the Russian cyber criminals harvesting over a billion usernames and passwords. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, our first segment uh, and our main topic, and that's uh, taming your to-do list. Uh, we all keep task lists uh, or to-do lists for some reason. We might be getting ready for a trial. We might be making sure we have all the documents we need for a transaction. We might just be making a checklist for what we are going to be running errands on over the weekend. I-, I know a lot of people think of to-do lists as sort of a necessary evil. There's something that we all need to keep organized, but if we don't manage them properly, I think the to-do lists can actually cause more harm than than good. Um, Dennis, are to-do lists part of the solution or are they part of the problem? I think they're both. It's they're both a blessing and a curse. And and you're right in how it's it's how you manage them. But I, I think that Sort of, it always has seemed like a good idea, especially when you have a lot of things going on that you want to have the, as you said, the humble to-do list to say, okay, here's what I have to do today, or here's what I'd like to do today, and and maybe roughly in, in this order. And that's important for organizing your day, and especially as you start to have many projects uh, on your on your plate, then it becomes really essential to keep track of things. And so a lot of people just, you know, use their their email inbox as a to do list, and it's easy to overlook things as as uh, as volume comes up. So the to do list seems like a good solution. However, where I think it can be Part of the problem is that when you do have so many things on your to-do list that you start a day, and I don't know what the magic number is. I, I sort of think that it's maybe it's certainly a 10, but maybe a little bit before that. But once you get past 10 items on a to-do list for a day, you just start out the day feeling overwhelmed. Um, and so I think as you get the long to-do list, and I remember many years ago, a friend of mine showed me a to-do list. He was maintaining an Outlook. And Outlook would do this thing if where you could assign dates. And if it was overdue, it would show that task uh, or the to-do in red. And he showed me the list of things he had to do. And there, it looked like there were hundreds of these red items. So it's like making you guilty you know, every day, too. And so so that, I think, becomes part of the, of the to-do list management. And when I think about taming it, it's sort of like, how, how do I bring the things I need to to work on in front of me in a regular way without feeling overwhelmed or without 
feeling guilty over all the stuff I haven't got done. I know, and I think that um, that's that's one reason why I am I, I'm not a big fan of of using tools like like Outlook for my task list. Um, I I think that the way that they've gone about and structured it, um, it just isn't really conducive um, for being successful about keeping a task list. I I'm not sure. I I know that what you say about you know, if you have more than ten things to do on your task list, then you know sometimes you'll probably wind up getting less done than if you just have two or three things. And I, I know reading productivity sites, they say pick the three biggest things you're going to do today. I guess I have a slightly different approach to doing it, and that is that it doesn't bother me so much. It doesn't bother me so much having ten things on my task list as long as I'm able to prioritize that list in order of importance and maybe make the top three things that I need to do for the day rise to the top of my list so that if I finish them, if I get done with them, then I can see what else is on my list and I can get to it. But if I don't, then I know that that rolls over to another day or to another time. and I can postpone it. I can deal with it because it wasn't as high a priority. And so I think that um, we all have slightly different approaches to how we like to do task lists and to-do lists. And I think that's what makes, for me anyway, something like this podcast a little bit difficult because everybody's going to have a little bit of different way that they like to manage their tasks. I mean, I know that you and I probably have a different ways of doing that too. In terms of how people approach task lists, Dennis, how do you, or how you approach task lists, how do you want to talk about you know the different approaches people have? Well, I, I, think you're, I think you're right that people do things in different ways. And so that's an important takeaway, I think, for everyone uh, from this podcast and why I I think it, it makes sense and why we wanted to talk about the different ways that we do things to give people some ideas of what's out there. Because I think that that really, and especially if you use technology in connection with, with your to-do list, that you really want to find a technology that meshes with, with the actual approach you have or really fits it. Or else you find a tool that you're willing to commit to and then change your normal practice of, of managing tasks to fit that, that tool. And, and in some ways, I think as simple as that may sound, that first of all, it's more difficult than it sounds, but I think that's probably the best way to go is, is trying to get that good fit. In my case, if I go back and look at how I've done things, you know, I'm you know, I sometimes have multiple lists and, uh, you know, I've done things on paper. I have this really, for a long time, I had this really interesting grid system that I probably should have posted on my blog or something at some point just to get some feedback on. But for me, I, I went back to probably the most important thing for me in the whole history of my to-do list is David Allen's getting things done. And, and, Tom, you and I have talked over the years about David Allen's approach, and it's a hard one to commit to, but it just really appealed to me in a in a lot of ways. And it's called GTD. Uh, his book is Getting Things Done, and and there's a couple really important parts of it. Uh, one is to get everything you're doing out of your head and into into uh, a list or a tool to help you manage that. Another thing is to to assign context to your tasks. So you say, oh, if I'm at a computer, here are the things I might do. If I have 15 minutes where I'm in, in a waiting room somewhere, here are the things I can do. You know, if I'm watching TV and want to multitask, here are the things I can do. So that context 
things is very important. And then his other key thing is the the next, I always call it the next physical action. I can't remember what he just calls it, the next action or next physical action, which is to say, I have this project or something that I want to do. And if I break it down into uh, the next action or a chunk where I say, if I have on my list oil change, um, it may take me a long time to actually get around to that. But if on my list is call the car dealer to, to make appointment for oil change, then the oil change flows because I pick the next thing I actually physically have to do, which is make a phone call. And the context is when I'm, when I have a phone and that allows me to get things done. And so for a lot, so that's been my approach. A lot of times I did that uh, using paper and I've always looked, uh, I mean, I've tried a different number of different approaches with technology and we'll, we'll come back to that. But Tom, I, don't, I, I know that your approach to to-dos has been somewhat different and perhaps in part, because I, I think I have, not that you don't have a huge volume, but I always feel like I have a huge volume of, of to-do items. Well, I have a pretty decent sized list of to-do items. Uh, and, and frankly, I kind of follow... A, a, what I would call a modified GTD. There are a lot of things that I like about the getting things done methodology that makes sense. I've always been a fan of getting to inbox zero or at least trying to get to inbox zero by by dealing with email the way that David Allen talks about. Um, but I just can't find a way to make all of the all of his methodology work for me when it comes to to-do lists. And, and specifically, I, I, I am a great believer in getting everything out of my mind. Whenever something appears in my mind, I need to get it out. And that's when we're going to talk about the technology in just a second, that's a huge issue for me. The ability to get it out fast and get it into a to-do list is a big deal. And so, because if I don't get it out, I'll forget it. It'll it'll come back later when it's too late. And uh, and, and so that's that's an important feature. Context, not so much to me. The, doing the context really doesn't do a ton for me because I don't want to have to sit there and think. Now, is this something that I want to do while I'm multitasking? Is this something that I want to do while I'm in the waiting room? I don't. I I just can't quite get into that um, that level of granularity and 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 frankly I'm not um, I'm also not a big fan of the next step it's not that I'm not a fan of it it's just that, that seems to be too much work for me so I take a much more laid back approach to GTD but I, I think ultimately I, I hopefully get to the, the same place and I think that um, we we you and I may have slightly different approaches there I think we're probably also using slightly different technologies and I think, frankly, both you and I recently came to using new technologies. Came to use new technologies in the in the recent past. We've just started using new things for our task management. Do you want to talk a little bit about yours first? Yeah, and I, and I think that's what prompted this episode was that we both have started using new technologies. So I, over the years, I've tried a bunch of different things to implement. Uh, my version of, of GTD, and including trying to, you know, put together some things in Outlook and Evernote. Uh, I think I've even tried spreadsheets at some point. And what's been sitting out there for me a, a long time is a program called OmniFocus, and which is designed to really parallel the GTD system. And the big drawback for me was a $99 program. And so a few months ago, I reached this point where I just felt that I just could not keep up with, with all the stuff I had going on. Every day I just felt like I was looking at 20, 25 things and 
not feeling I'm making any progress, which is an important thing when you're doing to-do lists is try to build in some sort of feedback loop where you give yourself credit for the stuff that, that you do get done. So I looked at OmniFocus again, and there's a new version that was coming out. And so uh, I went ahead and, and said, look, this is, I got to get this system to work for me, and I, I need some help. And so $99, this is kind of my big lesson here, uh, especially for lawyers, to kind of get on top of what what's going on on your in your day-to-day task is is a fairly small price to pay. So I'm I started with this this tool and with the idea of I did a bunch of mind maps and I did all these other things try and my other lists of of things everything that I was working on different projects I've divided things between personal and work and so I'm the focus I use for personal stuff which you know, includes the writing, podcasts, all, you know, other stuff that I do, uh, pri- home projects, all of that, which was was starting to to take a, a bigger role in what I do. So I, I do have this sort of weird split system between home and work, um, and I may go into that a little bit on the podcast or or may not. But uh, I'm going to focus really, imp- and especially this new version, I think really fit what I want to do um, and and allowing me to adapt the GTD system. And also the big thing, the biggest thing for me that that works is this notion of triage, which OmniFocus allows. So I can have all these different task items and I can put dates on them and I can categorize them by the projects they're in, the context, all these different things to slice and dice it. Well, when I look at the calendar, um, which I just did earlier tonight for the week, I can just take things and sort of triage it. I say, oh, look, there's 25 things that are on my list for Monday. I just take a look at that list. I go, oh, that can be bumped up a day. That can be bumped up. That can go to next week. That you know, I can move these things around so that um, tomorrow I'll have a, a much smaller focused list of the things I actually seem to have priority and that I have the energy to do. And that's what I think is the big thing that, uh, about OmniFocus is, you know, first that it does allow me to, to implement the GTD approach, but it allows this really important notion for me of triage to say, I can push things ahead and I can kind of sort priorities, and it's okay not to do things on a certain day. It just might not be the right day to do that. So that's that's what I like about OmniFocus. And then I also got it for my iPhone so that I have synchronization across so I can see the list in, in, in several places. So, so far, about three months into the experiment, it's, it's an A-plus for me. Tom, what, what's your new approach? Well, you know, it's. I'm, I was glad when you mentioned this because I actually had uh, when you mentioned this topic and doing it on the podcast because I've been thinking a lot about it lately as well. And I actually just wrote a, wrote an article for Law Practice Magazine. It's going to show up in a couple of months after this podcast is published. But um, I, when I was when I was you know going through um, looking at different task managers, I, I've I've been a big fan for a long time of of a to do list. Web app called Remember the Milk. Um, it 
it allows you to create smart lists and combine lists together and all sorts of things. And I, I, I think that it's, um, it has been a very good app, but it wasn't getting me exactly what I needed um, from, from a to-do list. And so I sat down and I thought about what are the features that are important to me and, and maybe to other people in to-do lists. And I came up with eight features that I think are important when, I'm, when I was looking for something. And the first one for me is that it'd be platform agnostic, that, um, and which, which means it's going to be web-based so that I can get it on my Mac computer, I can get it on my Windows computer, I can get it on my Android phone, I can get it on my iPad as well. And that's probably what ruled out OmniFocus for me because OmniFocus is iOS limited to that and I can't get that on my phone. So that's probably the only reason why I, wouldn't, I wasn't using something like OmniFocus because I think otherwise it does everything I would want it to do. I want my tool to have ease of entry, which means whenever I need to get something out of my head, it's just a couple of clicks and I can do it. What I really like about the to-do list app that I have right now is that it has a, a widget on my Android phone that I just press one button and it opens up a little entry form to enter the task in. I don't have to open the app up at all. I can just enter the task and it's done. It automatically gets added. I can email tasks to my list very easily. I can do it from within Gmail and enter tasks. It gives you lots and lots of ways to do it. I like the ability to have recurring tasks. I have things that I want to get done every Monday or every Friday or every weekend, and I like that they just appear on time, and that, that's what I want my to-do list to do. I want them to be multi-list capable. I want them to either be able to have different lists by project, uh, different lists by cases, or things like that. I know some to-do list apps just kind of give you one long list of tasks, and I don't, I don't want that. Um, I like the ability to assign priority levels, like I talked about before, one, two, three, or four, so I can I can have the, the more important tasks float to the top of the list. GTD functionality, like you mentioned, Dennis, I think is also important if if you're, if you're into that, if that's something that you want to do, um, the ability to have notes and attachments added to your added to your tasks, I think, is also important. And then, if you're working with somebody, the ability to share task lists, I think, can also be an important feature. Probably less important for me, um, but definitely something that uh, that others might want to want to consider. After all of that, I, I took a look at lots of. I've took a look at probably six or seven, eight different task managers, and the one that I wound up liking is one that. I, it's been around for a while. I know some people like, but a lot of people haven't heard of. It's called Todoist. So it's T-O-D-O-I-S-T.com. It really meets the most important features. I can get it on my Android phone, my Mac, on my Windows computer, on my iPad. Um, I can get stuff in very easily. The ability to create recurring tasks with just a couple of a couple of, of keystrokes is really simple and easy and intuitive. And it kind of does what what you talk about. I you know tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up. I'm going to see my to-do list, there'll probably be, like you say, 25 things on it, but I'll realize that a lot of those things I don't have to get done tomorrow, and I can easily put them off until either later in the week or another time when I can do them. I really do like this app a lot. It makes a lot of sense for me. Um, some of the other apps that I looked at, um, and I'll put them in the show notes, I'll put links in, are uh, Wonderlist, W-U-N-D-E-R List. Um, they actually just refreshed their user interface and supposed to be much better than actually when I was reviewing it, so I may go back and take a look at them at some point. I still do like Remember the Milk a lot. It still is a very powerful tool. Any.do, D-O, um, is another one. A lot of people like Toodledo, T-O-O-D-L-E-D-O, and then a lot of people use the Reminders app in iOS. Um, that's probably, to me, the least uh, the least frills and, and, and the least functionality, but sometimes people just need something that 
simple and basic. The, the two apps that that I know some people use for to-do lists that I just don't think I could ever recommend. I know you mentioned it before, Dennis, Evernote, um, OneNote. I know a lot of people create to-do lists in there. I think that's a mistake. It, uh, you know, one, the ability to uh, create recurring tasks, the ability to prioritize. It, you know, it's good if you just want to have a, a flat, static, linear to-do list somewhere. You can't sort and organize them by cat- case or project or anything like that. Um, if that's all you need, then that's fine. But that, those really aren't the tools that I would would think about using when uh, when I would want something a little bit more dynamic than that. Well, Tom, I, I really like uh, the, the thing you. I think your list of the eight things is really great. I really the one I wanted to highlight is this recurring notion. So I really like that in in OmniFocus, and so you can do a number of of things, and it has a lot of flexibility for how you set those recurring tasks. So you could do something like for me uh you know every every second saturday i i could say library books do or i can you know put uh, i do this with my prescription refills so i t- i put a recurring thing after you know however many weeks so that a task comes up there um at the at the appropriate time to remind me to f- refill prescriptions so you can do all sorts of things like that on on recurring and that's that's really helpful cuz then you that automates a lot of your your to do your your to do list and uh, and there are people like David Sparks and and other people out there who are power OmniFocus users who have all sorts of uh, different automation techniques. Um, so there, so looking for a, a program that will do some of that can can also be useful. I did want to mention Outlook tasks because because I do use those at at work, and and I just want to highlight one way that I do them, and I think could be could be helpful to people. So a lot of times you get a, as a lawyer you get a question or the initiation of a you know some kind of project or something that will come by an email. What I like to do is when I get that type of email, you can just drag the email onto the task, uh, sort of on the, the left-hand side of the menu, and it will turn that email into a task. So the body of the email will be in the task, and then you have the Outlook task. You can put a due date on it. You can say that you're waiting on someone. You can do you know a, a number of simple things with it, but it, that... Put something on your task list and associate all the information in the email with it, and that that is really kind of handy if you are using Outlook as a as a task manager. So there there are ways to do it. Like I said, what always scared me about Outlook was the way that it you know you could you could see all these things that were overdue, and and for some people that's motivation. For me, that just gave me a sense of of despair. Tom, I, I one of the big things I think in task lists, and you mentioned this too, is the whole notion of of synchronization. So you make a change when you add something; it gets uh, synchronized to all your devices, and being able to see that list across all of your devices. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? I do. I just want to say first about uh, about Outlook tasks. You know, I. I use Outlook Tasks too for a very limited purpose, and that's when I get an email that I need to follow up on. I'll usually flag it in Outlook, knowing that I need to follow up on that. But the challenge, though, is is that I don't I don't use that as my primary task list. So I need to go over to my to doist to my regular task manager, and I need to actually put the task in there. And then when it's time to do the task that I need to do, I can then head to my task list and out 
Outlook, a task list in Outlook, and it's sitting there ready for me to address. Uh, but frankly, the main reason why I don't use Outlook is because, specifically because of what we just talked about now, and that is its lack of synchronization, is that I can, with, with Outlook, I'd be able to synchronize with every device on which I had Exchange, Microsoft Exchange, or was able to get to my Outlook task, but that's few and far between. I don't have the same ability to get that on my Android phone or my iPad the same way that I would um, on a Windows device, and um, and I think that's a real problem. For me, I think what's important is not only that I can open up my phone and I can have my task list if I happen to go out for the day and I complete a task, I've got it there, and when I get back to the office, that task is gone from from the list, uh, but it's really just being able to access. To me, it's the, the the benefit of it is having anywhere, anytime access to it. Because frankly, you never know when you're going to have an, an idea that you need something you need to accomplish, and um, just being able to press a button on on your phone or, or something like that and enter a task very quickly, and then have it sitting there waiting for you at your office when it's time to to, to get back uh, to work uh, and, and do things. I think really is tremendously helpful. We've been going on a lot for a lot of talking about task lists and I think more of a generic way. So Dennis, why don't you um, give some, I guess, some closing thoughts here for this segment on, on you know, why this helps lawyers. I mean, what's in it for lawyers especially in, in using a to-do list manager, a task manager like what we've been talking about? You know, sometimes I always used to be jealous of uh, litigators because they would just be working on one thing at a time and so it was easy for them to do their time during the day because they're just working on one project. A lot of lawyers have a lot of different things going on that they might touch during during a day, might have a lot of deadlines, trying to decide what priorities, things to start, things you're waiting to get back from people. One of the things about the getting things done approach is, that I think is great is the waiting on category. So if you have a list of things that you're waiting on people to get back from, you know that you've done what you need to do, but you're still waiting to get something back. And if that shows up on your to-do list that you're expecting something to come back that can help you prioritize and and do other things. So I I think that the to-do list for lawyers, I think, help you with getting your day in order, setting priorities. I think they can be especially useful in in working with deadlines and and breaking projects into into manageable chunks. So you can use a to-do list to say on a routine basis that when you... Put the deadline in, but also you know three days, seven days, whatever before a deadline. I have that show up as a to-do item. When I'm speaking, I know that I have to do handout materials. I have to do PowerPoint slides. I have to do you know I might have to do travel. I might have to do other things. So if I conceive of that speaking engagement as a project that has these different components, I can put those to-dos into my to-do manager, and they'll show up on a certain date as something to do. And then I don't have to, to think that through. And they're just sort of like a module things I can do. And and for lawyers, that's something you could do as well, depending on the type of, of work you do, the matter you're working on. You can kind of set up all the components of that and turn them into to-dos for you. And then, as I said, when it comes up, if it's not time to do that or you're waiting on something, you can bump it ahead a day or two or a week or, or whatever you need to do. The other thing I think can be helpful for lawyers who have a lot of things going on where sometimes your days get out of control is having that to-do list can help you go back for those who record 
their time by hand to actually figure out what it was you might have done that day because you do have that list of the things you were planning to do and that will kind of help you structure your your billable time rather than getting at the the end of the day and wondering what the heck it was that, that you did that day so I think you know, I, I guess time for me that the big learning for me in the last few months was that it's okay to spend money on this because this is really an, an important important thing to do. And ninety nine dollars to give me sort of the the more peace of mind I have, even though there's still a lot of things I need to do, but to have a better sense of control than I felt a few months ago, it was a real bargain for me. And so I think for other people that there are a lot of cool tools out there. Tom and I have given some examples, but it's definitely an area to explore. And it's one of those places where technology for not a lot of money can really help you uh, feel less overwhelmed, get in control of your day, and and kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, do a better job and help you get better organized and and, and just make your life a little bit easier. So uh, what are the cool tools that you out there in the listening audience use? Are there tools that we didn't mention that you like as far as task managers or to-do lists? Let us know. Uh, Send us a tweet or an email. I'll give you that information at the end of the show, and uh, we'll uh, we'll include it in the the show notes uh, for this particular show. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Since our last podcast, one of the biggest tech news stories has been about Russian cyber criminals accumulating a hoard of more than a billion usernames and passwords. Now, there are actually quite a few conflicting details on this story, and, and Bruce Schneier on his uh, Schneier on Security blog is a great resource uh, on this. And, and there's some, some interesting dis- discussion out there as, as to exactly what's involved in this. Uh, I, to me, the really interesting thing was that they were planning to use it uh, for their spam business rather than to kind of break into, you know, to, to break into accounts and stuff, which is interesting, kind of an interesting, uh, gives you an interesting perspective on on how valuable the spam business still is, if that's what they're using it for, and that's their priority. But I thought we would talk about this story, and for me, I don't know, Tom, maybe we, we can assume it's generally true and just talk about what a good response uh would be uh, for people when you hear stories like this. Passwords just seem to be an unavoidable topic these days. Tom, is is this yet another password freakout moment? Well, I, I think that 
I'm going to take a different approach and, and, and not assume the truth of it because everything that I've read about it makes me very skeptical. And I think if you go, Dennis mentioned Bruce Schneier, if you go to his website, I think he's skeptical about it too. And, and that skepticism spreads over a bunch of different websites. And, and here are some of the things that I, that I discovered just from what I've read when I was looking at the, the issue. You know, the first thing is that it's not clear whether these passwords were recently stolen or whether the bad guys just sort of came into possession of them over time. Time. Uh, I think that some think that this is sort of an accumulation of old bad passwords over a longer period of time, which makes it a much less interesting and, I guess, less important story. Um, I think the second thing is is that the, the, the number that they originally quoted was 1.2 billion passwords. That's a lot. That's that's more than Facebook has, has members. You would assume that they belong at least to some major companies who would announce the breach. I think it's really interesting that uh, the company that announced this, uh, called Hold Security, uh, they refused to announce uh, announced any companies that were affected saying it was all under investigation. Um, but you don't hear any major law enforcement uh, organizations investigating this. So I'm not sure who's doing the investigation and why we haven't heard from anybody. Maybe uh, maybe they all want to keep it silent, but generally that's not what we've been seeing when there have been data breaches out there. Um, like you mentioned, Dennis, the bad guys aren't using these passwords to hack into accounts or to commit fraud or to I- commit identity theft. They're using it to commit to send spam which I, I guess can be lucrative in itself. But, you know, uh, one of the things Bruce Schneier says is he says that, that the fact that they're doing this proves how secure that the internet really is, that we're not seeing massive fraud or theft as a result of this issue. And, and, and then I guess finally, the, uh, call, me, call me skeptical, but, but the, the fact that whole security immediately told consumers that they could protect themselves by paying $120 a year for a monitoring service kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I suppose that what I take away from this right now, and we'll get to passwords in just a second, is, is, that, is that maybe we're getting to the time where we shouldn't adopt a chicken little, the sky is falling approach for every story that we have. We need to take, take a breath, step back, look and see what's going on, see the truth of it, see whether our current methods are working of protecting ourselves, because maybe that's all that it is. Maybe right now um, we're in an age where we're, we're seeing some things that may either not be happening or may not be as important as we think they are. That said, should you change your passwords? I think that if you're the kind of person that is keeping you know, the same password for multiple sites, I definitely think you should change your passwords because uh, especially if, if you're using the same password for your email as you're using for other sites because it becomes easier for these folks to be able to get into your email and spoof it or send spam out on your behalf. And I think that certainly is, is an issue that you want. I, I will never, ever tell people not to go and change your passwords or, 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 or use a password manager to make better uh, use and, and management of your passwords if you feel concerned about this. Maybe it's a good time to go in and, and do a refresh on on the passwords for your major sites, but also the smaller sites too. I'm not. I'm still taking a wait and see attitude about this because I'm not convinced that this is the the huge story that at least the New York Times put it out to be. Dennis, am I uh, taking too laissez faire an attitude for to this? Well, I, I think the fact is we just don't know, and and that uh, there was a lot of just a lot of focus on it on day one, and then. 
and I think it's good, a good approach when you hear these stories is to go to to Bruce Schneier's blog. Uh, it's a, you know, he's he's usually up on all of the stuff and, and has reasonable approaches to things. So I don't know where it is. It's one of those things you got to pay attention to, and and it gives you. I think all these things are give you a good occasion to think about what it is that you're doing with passwords and, and security. You know, multi-factor authentication, all those. So there's a lot of techniques out there. So when I thought about this, I it gave me pause about not so much like my current important stuff, which, but the the usernames and passwords that have been out there for for years that, and probably accounts I haven't used or haven't used for a long time that go back to the sort of older days of password approaches where you had shorter passwords, you, you didn't pay as much attention as you now do to, to things. You certainly didn't use strong passwords, but there's probably a bunch of that stuff for a lot of us that's sitting out there. So it was a good reminder to think think about the implications of some of those things and then also to think about what passwords haven't you changed for a long, long time and makes sense to update those. And then I, you know, there are some things that are important and, uh, you know, like some of the email things and, you know, financial accounts and stuff like that, where when you see something like that, what's, it's it's just a good idea to, to go ahead and change. And then also look at the multi-factor authentication. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, I think that being able to go back to older passwords is really important. That's why I've, I'm really glad to see that some of the password managers like LastPass and more recently 1Password uh, have these features that you can, um, you can do a security check on your current passwords and it'll tell you, you know, for LastPass, it'll tell me when I last used the password, uh, the strength of that password. Um, it'll tell me whether it's been involved in a compromise, whether that website was involved in a compromise anytime uh, in the past couple of years. And it, uh, it, it, it's, a, I think, a very useful tool to be able to see which of my passwords are strong, which of them really should be strengthened a little bit. And I, frankly, use LastPass that way all the time. I do the security check, see what see what passwords are uh, are are weak and maybe need changing, and we'll go in and try and strengthen them all the time. Yeah, anytime you have the chance to restrict the number of attempts, that's a that's a good another good approach because when these big lists get generated, they get added to password dictionaries, and on the brute force attempts, it just makes it, you know, makes it easier for people to try all of those things because they go into those dictionaries. So restricting the number of attempts can be a good thing. Now it's time for our parting shots, that uh, one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So this past week I was traveling. I was um, in Boston for ABA meetings, and I will say that the hotel where I stayed had probably the worst Wi-Fi I've ever experienced in my life. It was so miserably bad, and the fact that they charged me for it um, made it worse. And and unfortunately, I bring a MiFi card that I will use. I I try to use it sparingly since I have a cap on it, Um, but apparently reception in the hotel was just as bad as the Wi-Fi. I was in a a black hole for uh, internet communications. Um, But it uh, it kind of, I I saw a story last week, it kind of hit home for me. Uh, uh, A a website called uh, hotelwifitest.com allows you to go 
in and uh, and it'll ask you the question, are you in a hotel room right now? If you say yes or no, if you say yes, it will actually run a, a bandwidth test um, for your hotel. And then it asks you to fill in the name of the hotel and where you are so that it can post uh, bandwidth ratings for you know all the hotels in the country. And uh, you can then, if that's something that's important to you, you can look up the hotel we're going to see whether the uh, Wi-Fi is good or not. You'd be very surprised at the bandwidth numbers that you see uh, at some of these hotels. Uh, not sure that that's the uh, the decision point upon which you will decide to stay in a particular hotel, but uh, always interesting to see how certain hotels approach their uh, their the speed of their Wi-Fi. Hotelwifitest.com. Dennis. And I wanted to talk about the uh, Law Technology Today blog. We probably mentioned it before, but Tom and I are on the board of the ABA's uh, Legal Technology Resource Center. Recent board meeting, we were talking about uh, all the improvements and all the great work that's going into the Law Technology Today blog. Uh, so I highly recommend that. It's also a great opportunity for people who want to write about legal technology, uh, but who maybe don't want to do articles, but would be willing to do blog posts maybe on a regular basis or looking to get a stable of regular blog writers willing to do a post a month. So in addition to being a great resource to read, it's also a potentially great outlet if you want to try to, to write and try your hand in writing about legal technology. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tcamreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or a topic for an upcoming podcast or want to tell us about the to-do list or task manager you use or even that you might want to write for the Legal Technology Today, the uh, Law Technology Today blog, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.